So, like I said earlier, uh, this is our last class together on Jesus, the man from heaven. And uh, this is a fun one. We're going to study Jesus in the Old Testament. So, Jesus is eternal. He's been um, around forever. He has never not existed. And he ministered in the Old Testament, and there's some uh, clues that we receive in the Old Testament itself and then in the New Testament that help us understand uh, some of the ways uh, we see him working in the Old Testament. So we'll look at that in a minute. Uh, But just to review our objectives together, uh, you're familiar with these. We want to grow in our knowledge of Christ. Uh, We want to grow in our understanding of our union with Jesus. And then we want to live by faith in response to our union with Jesus. So we don't want to just stop it at knowing who Jesus is, but we want to trust him more and learn to walk with him in life. So when we, when we talk about uh, the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament, his name isn't necessarily mentioned in the Old Testament. And so we kind of have to look at uh, clues of what the New Testament says. So um, you're familiar with like the I am statements that he says, um, you know, before Abraham was, I am. And they accused him of blaspheming because they understood that he was saying that he is uh, the Yahweh uh, God of Exodus 3 that appeared to Moses. Um, And so uh, we know that that was uh, Jesus who appeared in the burning bush. And then there's things like the angel of the Lord uh, that are pretty clearly understood as references to Jesus before he came um, in the flesh. So different things like that, and then there's, there's less clear things. Um, and people uh, make uh, lots of connections between uh, Jesus and how he uh, shadow, things shadowed him in the Old Testament. And those things are fine, but there's something called typology that people can really run away with and uh, go, take it too far um, in the end. And so... Typology can be fine. Um, I don't love it. Uh, Paul does it one time in Romans 5. We'll look at that together. And then people take that as a hermeneutical principle that they can apply to just about anything in the Old Testament. And so if you approach an Old Testament text looking for a type of Christ, you can probably find one because, (laughs) as we'll see, uh, it's defined as something that's very subjective. So it's often a decision that uh, the the reader makes, and not necessarily uh, what the text is explaining. And so, perhaps a better uh, term for this is maybe analogy, or illustration, um, or shadow. Okay. So sometimes uh, I like to use shadow because it's a good visual illustration. And when you see a shadow, it's really usually if you see like a person's shadow, you can tell that it's a human. But I couldn't see, uh, like, Charlie's shadow and be like, oh, yeah, that's Charlie. Or, oh, yeah, that's Pastor Lance, uh, just based on their shadow. Shadows are kind of unclear. So to prove that to you, I have a quiz. And, and some of you will get this right, but we're guessing on a lot of these, okay? So the way the quiz will work is I'll show you the shadow, and then you raise your hand, and the first person I call on gets the first chance if you think you know what it is. And if you get it right, you get a piece of candy. All right, so who thinks they know what shadow this is? Nancy. Like a harp? It's not a harp. 
Good guess. Yeah, charisma. It is a fork. Good job. All right. So charisma gets a piece of candy. <laughs> so isn't that hard? It doesn't look, I mean, it resembles a fork, but it doesn't look exactly like a fork. All right, so let's do another one, okay? So be ready with your, your draw here, and I'll try and see everybody. So what we're, well, we'll just start with a piece of candy, okay? So try to, try to guess what it is, okay? You got to raise your hand. Yeah, Anna. Glasses, you're right. For a dollar, a crumpled dollar, can you tell me where the piece of tape is on the glasses? <laughs> you get a piece of candy already. So is it on the, the left side, the middle, or the right side of the glasses? The middle? Good guess. You're wrong. <laughs> the tape is on the left side. So, oh yeah, you don't get a dollar. You didn't get that right. Sorry, Anna. <laughs> okay, so you guys, you guys get it? I have three more, I think. So I'm going to show the picture, and you've got to raise your hand and guess what, what is casting the shadow, all right? <laughs> yeah. Not a basketball. Jim. Not a baseball. Dusty. Not a golf ball. <laughs> yeah, Linda. It's not a frisbee. Yeah, Anna. Not a soccer ball. It's a ball that's sometimes played on turf. We already said golf ball. What's that? Not football. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, tennis ball. Okay, so you get a piece of candy. If you tell me the two colors of this tennis ball, you can have a dollar. <laughs> yellow. So you, you got yellow right. But, yeah. Maybe it's yellow. Yeah, rip the dollar in half. So it's purple and yellow or white. So that was good. <laughs> I think so. I think it's a tennis ball. So you, you got the yellow right. So you get the dollar. Yeah, you do. You got it right. All right. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see if we can get the next one. All right, here's the next one. Yeah, charisma. It is a mug. Do you know what color the mug is? It's not brown. White. <laughs> this is hard, isn't it? The, the shadows tell you something, but not everything. Okay, this is the last one. This is the hardest one by far. Okay, so I will be impressed if someone can get this one. What's that? Yeah. Chess pieces, you're right. I think you get a dollar just for that. That was incredible. Yeah. For, for another dollar, can you tell us which chess pieces they are? Yeah. White ones? 
It's the black ones. Sorry. I think, yeah. So, isn't that crazy? It looks like a crown, doesn't it? Thank you. I think so. So, so as you can see, shadows, they tell you something about it. And oftentimes you can, you know, guess right what the object is, but it doesn't tell you everything, right? So it doesn't tell you color. Uh, it doesn't tell you, uh, you know, that kind of looks like a crown. You know, you could, you could guess wrong. Um, and even if you knew that was a tennis ball, it's a purple tennis ball. Like, who would have guessed it, was, it had purple on it, right? So shadows are helpful, but they don't tell you everything. So this is uh, some muddy water that it's easy to get into when you start guessing about uh, what is a type of Jesus and what isn't. And so uh, it's fun to study and it's helpful, but it's not something you want to build your whole theology on. Uh, You want to make sure you uh, let passages speak for themselves and shadows are something that, that work backwards. Okay, so people will take types and they'll say, well, this is prophetic of Christ. And shadows don't work that way. They, they work the other way. They work backwards where now that we, we see who Jesus is, we can look back at Adam and say, oh, yeah, Adam was uh, a shadow of Christ. Um, but looking at Adam, we can't just, you know, if, if we just had Genesis 3 to read, we would say, you know, we wouldn't come to Jesus and be like, oh yeah, there's going to be a guy named Jesus that is a type of Adam that is going to uh, succeed where Adam failed and, and all these things. So, jumping into the notes, uh, just like we saw with the shadows, some shadows of Jesus are clear while others are not as clear. We should be careful as identifying an object by its shadow can only tell us so much. So I hope that illustration is helpful that as we, we study these things, uh, the, the thought process of shadows is helpful, but pretty much only in reverse. So there's passages in the Old Testament that are clearly prophetic of Jesus, right? He's going to be born of a virgin. Uh, you know, he's going to uh, rule with a rod of iron. Uh, there's, there's tons of prophecies that we'll look at that clearly point to Jesus. And that, that is prophetic. It's looking forward. But there's so many things that the New Testament looks back on and uh, that aren't as helpful because uh, we wouldn't understand that just from reading the Old Testament. So today we can look at that and say, oh yeah, that was a shadow of Jesus to come, uh, but the Old Testament readers wouldn't have caught all that until they realized who Jesus was um, in the New Testament. So uh, typology can be dangerous, um, but it handled well, it can be helpful as too. So we'll look at it a little bit here. So types, or I would prefer to call them analogies or shadows, it comes from the Greek word tupos, and so you can kind of hear the similarity there. And here's a definition uh, that's given by John Walvoord, who I would agree with on a lot of things. So he says, the difficulty has been that typology by its nature is more subject to personal opinion of the interpreter than ordinary exegesis. So he's saying uh, it's different than normal Bible study because we have to kind of make it up, is basically what he's saying. (laughs) That it's based on uh, our interpretations um, of how things connect uh, more so than just looking at a text and saying, oh, well, this is a prophecy of Jesus. Instead, they look at things like, uh, in a little bit 
I have a list of different things, and so there's uh, they draw types from Aaron, Abel, Adam, Benjamin, David, Joseph, Joshua, uh, all, all these things, and there's some that are like uh, the staff, Aaron's budding rod, um, and and these things the New Testament points back to as shadows of what Jesus has done. But in the Old Testament, they wouldn't have looked at those things and been like, oh, yeah, Jesus is going to come and, and do this. So typology is only helpful looking backwards, not looking uh, from their perspective forward. So hopefully that's helpful. So as we read on in that definition, it says, typology is primarily concerned with the application of an, a historical fact as an illustration of a spiritual truth. As Webster puts it, a type is a figure or representation of something to come. It is therefore prophetic by its character, and we may expect a considerable contribution from it to the doctrine of Christ. So I don't like the way he says that, because he, he speaks of typology being prophetic, but it, it's not. It's only looking backwards that this type of understanding is helpful um, once the New Testament has pointed those things out to us. So when the New Testament does that, that's great and it's helpful, but it doesn't do it in everything. So when people get in trouble is when they take this as license that I can take anything uh, and, and look backwards and say, this was a type of Jesus, or this was a type of this, um, instead of just letting the biblical authors do that. And so the, the question has been asked, where, where are the breaks on this thing? Where, where, can, where does someone stop seeing types? Because, you know, you can see types wherever you want. That's basically the way this works out. And uh, Augustine said that the breaks are with love and orthodoxy. And so you can take this thing a long ways and, and run down the path of typology and end up with a lot of things that may be connected, but that the Bible doesn't necessarily connect. And so we just want to be careful that we're not uh, losing track of the text itself. And uh, sure, there's shadows of things in the Old Testament of what Christ um, is in the New Testament, but... You know, they, they didn't read that as the original meaning. And so what people do is they'll read the Old Testament and they're looking for types. They're, they're looking for secret uh, hidden things in the text, uh, spiritual meanings that the original authors wouldn't have understood. And so I think God can do that. He can point back and say, yeah, Jesus was a type of Adam, but I don't think that gives us license to do the same thing um, whenever we want. So your next point there, typology is fundamentally different from prophecy. It is something that can only be seen looking back, where the point of prophecy is to provide a picture looking forward. So I mentioned uh, the Greek word tupos, which is where we get our word type. Um, so it's used uh, quite a few times in the New Testament, but it's only used once in the way that typology uses it in Romans chapter 5. So if you turn over to there, we can look at that together. We've looked at this text in previous weeks, um, but we'll look at it again together. So Romans 5.14 it says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness 
of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. And so what uh, people who study the Bible will do, they'll, they'll look at this and they'll say, oh, uh, we, can, we can use this as a hermeneutical principle to kind of jump around and do these things. And that's, I don't think that's fair to the text. And so in this text, Paul does point out that Adam is a type of the one who is to come, of Jesus. And so again, the issue is that people take this as a Bible study principle or hermeneutic, which they are free to apply and see in any text. They will say, I think this is a type. And that that can be great and fine and helpful, but it can only go so far because if the biblical authors don't make the connection, then it's really not that helpful. It's just our guess, like we were guessing at the pictures, that maybe this is a type of Jesus. So the need to read the Old Testament for its sake alone as God's word is lost, and the Old Testament finds its meaning only in the New Testament. And so the question that arose in uh, your next blank there, uh, the question that arose in my mind is, could the Israelites understand God's word at face value, or do they have to understand the deeper typology going on in the text? So sure, there's things that you know, they didn't fully understand how this would be fulfilled in Jesus, um, but I think the majority of the time, they understood in their context what these things were for. And so I've come across uh, quite a few books where people will take all of the, the objects in the temple and find a way that they're connected to Christ typologically that the biblical authors never do or um, the tabernacle um, or what the priests wore in their robes. So all these things that are spelled out for the priests in the Old Testament, uh, people can't read that as for them. We have to find some way that, that Jesus... Um, that it's a shadow of Jesus. And so, again, uh, shadow is better or analogy. Um, so you, you take, for example, the, the sacrificial lamb. That's a clear shadow of Jesus that uh, they would take a lamb and shed its blood to pay for their sins. And they didn't know fully that Jesus would be their sacri- you know, the sacrificial lamb for the world, as John says it. But... Uh, It's a shadow of of what he became. Um, And so it's it's helpful to a degree, and that's one where the authors connect it. But again, I don't think this is a hermeneutical principle that we can just take and apply wherever we want uh, to work for us. So with this word, uh, tupas, it's used uh, quite a few other times. Um, So in your next blank there, tupas used in behavioral examples. So most of the time, it's used to say, uh, this person is an example of how we are to live, and most of the examples are not Jesus. And so this word, uh, the majority of its usage in the New Testament is to refer to how we are to follow examples of like Old Testament believers um, in how they obey uh, the Lord and walk with him by faith. And so, I don't think typology is the best word that we could use here. I don't think Paul in Romans 5 is opening up a whole section of theology that, um, you know, really broadens our view of who Christ is and things. So, I would suggest a better term as analogy or shadows. 
And uh, I think that can be more helpful um, because it's only used once as a prophetical symbol, as Adam being a type of Christ. So I have listed for you there um, other possible analogies to Jesus. So I took this from that same book by John Walverd. And uh, I think uh, the examples he gives, I think most of them are pointed out in the New Testament as uh, analogous to uh, what Jesus did and who he was. Um, But so many of them... I think they're just looking at a shadow and, and kind of saying, yeah, it's Jesus. And it's like, well, the, the Bible doesn't always say that everything is Jesus <laughs> from the Old Testament. And so I hope that's helpful for you. I come across typology a lot, and so I just wanted to, to touch on that before we got into uh, the prophecy type things that are much clearer, uh, much more like someone's going to come and do this, and the New Testament is like Jesus fulfilled this here and now, or he will still fulfill this, and it's just much clearer uh, for us as we study Christ. Um, So uh, the next section there, I jumped ahead of myself here, Uh, prophecies, uh, there's no blanks here, so I just listed, uh, it's not everything, but it's lots of prophecies that are uh, clearly point to Jesus coming and what he will be and what he will do. Um, or the, the Old Testament points out that Jesus fulfills these things. Uh, so a couple that I wanted to touch on, uh, but first let's talk about prophecy. Prophecy is, is super helpful, but it has uh, uh, difficulties to it. So could I have you three guys come on up for a second? <laughs> You're going to do great. You can have a piece of candy for helping me. It'll be, it'll be awesome. Okay, can you guys just stand in a line right there? Perfect. And put Pastor Lance. Uh, yeah, that's great. So, yeah, Pastor Lance. I know, I know. I know you know what I'm doing. Can you squat down, Pastor Lance? Sorry. We got out of order here. Okay. So standing right here, I can see Charlie very clearly. And I can see the top of Jim's head. I cannot see Pastor Lance uh, through Charlie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's okay. He's still there. I know he's there. So what happens in prophecy is the biblical authors, not one of them is given the whole picture. So there's something called prophetic telescoping. So when God gives biblical authors uh, things to write down, or gives them visions of things that will come prophetically, they don't see the whole picture. So right now, if God told me to write down what I see, I would write down, I see all of Charlie, and I see uh, not even Jim's eyebrows, but just the top of his head. Okay, And notice, I missed all of Pastor Lance, and that's not a good thing to miss. And so what happens is uh, prophecy is helpful because it tells us what's coming but it's not always helpful in timing or sequence because they don't have the full picture. They only see what God shows them at the moment. And so they, so it's called mountain topping is one way people put it. And so you, you don't see the mountain in between the two taller mountains. You just see the two tallest mountains because Pastor Lance is 
down lower than the front mountain. So thank you guys. You can go sit down. You can get a piece of candy if you want to. I know you're just dying for some sugar. It's right there. So turn to uh, Zechariah 9. So this, this happens very clearly in, in this uh, minor prophet where both comings of Jesus are viewed in back-to-back verses. So this prophetic telescoping happens right in front of us. Where This is where it's uh, prophesied that Jesus will come on a donkey. And then it's also prophesied uh, that he will rule and reign as king. And so, again, prophecy is limited. It tells us what is to come, but it doesn't give us perfect timing or sequence. So there's a lot of time that Zechariah didn't see in between these two events. So Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So that verse occurred in Christ's first coming. And so what Zechariah doesn't know here is that there's going to be a second coming. And so when, when Israel read this, they're like, he's here, he's riding on a donkey, and he's going to set up his kingdom. Um, but as we read on, uh, Zechariah doesn't see the, the mystery of the church at least 2,000 years of, I guess not at least yet, because Christ died in 33 AD. So. Almost. Yeah, yeah, it is hard. So verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So, you know, none of that's happened yet, right? That's, that's going to happen in Christ's second coming. And so prophecy tells us a lot. We know a lot there. We know that Jesus is going to come humbly on a donkey with salvation, and he's going to set up his kingdom and rule. But we don't know when. <laughs> and we don't see that, you know, we don't see Pastor Lance between the two mountains. Um, he's tucked away, and Zechariah didn't see that. And so... Prophecy is super helpful, but uh, it doesn't tell us everything. And so as the New Testament unfolds, it it shows us more and helps us to have a better picture of how prophecy plays out. But prophecy is more helpful than like typology because it looks forward, even though we don't fully understand it when it's given, it still looks forward where typology looks backwards. So. So let's look at a couple of the prophecies here. Um, so you, you guys are familiar with um, his, his birth um, from Micah 5.2, his virgin birth from Isaiah 7, that he'll be called Emmanuel in Isaiah 9. Uh, many of these, you know, you're familiar with from the Christmas season and thinking of the incarnation, things like that. I want to turn to Genesis 3.15. So in this one, this is... When Christ is prophesied as the seed of the woman to come and uh, defeat the serpent. So Genesis 3.15 says, uh, this is God talking to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
So again, this is super helpful because we know that there's a, a deliverer coming, a savior who's going to free uh, the people from their sin that they just fell into. But we don't know who he is. All we know is that he's going to be born of uh, the woman. And so it's really interesting as we turn over to chapter 4, because I think uh, Eve thinks that she's having the Messiah. I think she thinks she's the woman that's going to have the Messiah, and it's going to be over just like that. But what she doesn't realize is that prophecy is, you know, like a 6,000-year prophecy (laughs) where she's going to have to wait uh, for Jesus, for, for the whole Old Testament to unfold of Christ's line, and then for Jesus to be born for that one who would crush the head of the serpent uh, to deliver them. So as we look at uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Uh, so what's fun here uh, is in the Hebrew, there is no from. So all it says is, I have acquired a man, and then it just it has the, the direct object indicator and the Lord. And so some versions translate this, I have acquired a man who is the Lord. I have had the Lord, <laughs> which is kind of fun. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that's, I think from the Lord is fine. Um, but it could be that she thinks she's having the one who will deliver them from their sins here. Uh, so I wrote down, uh, I thought I wrote, yeah, the International Standard Version translates it that way. And then the net translates it uh, a, a less common way. It translates it, um, I have gotten a man with the Lord's help or something like that. So she even perhaps was thinking that the Lord uh, gave her a child uh, to deliver them. But obviously she's disappointed when her son kills her other son and then he's banished. Obviously he's, he's not the Lord. <laughs> so her hopes were dashed. Uh, it was clear that he was not the one. Um, but then something else fun along with that is in chapter 5, the, the family lineage is given of Adam. And as we go down to Lamech in uh, verse 28... It says, Lamech lived 182 years and had a son and called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And so some think maybe he thought that he was having, you know, the one who would crush the head of the serpent, that he would be the one to to comfort them or help them, deliver them from the curse. And that one's interesting because Noah does deliver you know, humankind. He, God uses him to keep the human race going, um, but he's not the one. And so uh, that's another uh, f- fun thing where the, I think these people, they, they knew of the prophecy about Jesus, but they had no idea when it would happen, and they had no idea who it would be. They just knew that it would be a son someday uh, that would deliver them. So you can see the other prophecies there. We won't uh, look at all of them, Uh, The next thing we'll look at together are Christophanies. So that word just means appearances of Jesus before uh, he came as a baby, before his incarnation. So pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus. So most of the time in the Old Testament, uh, when 
Most versions say the angel of the Lord instead of an angel of the Lord. It's talking about Jesus, and he's appearing as the messenger of God. And so let's look at Exodus chapter 3 to talk about that. So there's appearances of Jesus as the angel of the Lord before this, I believe. But this is the first time that we hear from his mouth that it is the Lord. So in Genesis 3, you're familiar with it, uh, starting verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord, so some of your translations might even capitalize angel. That's an interpretation um, that, that, that they make on that, uh, which I think they're right. Uh, appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Mo- Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And so you know that uh, he goes through and the Lord asks him to deliver his people. And then we get down to uh, verse 13 and Moses says, uh, who should I tell them has sent me? Uh, When they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So in verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so right there, the angel of the Lord is identified as God, is identified as the I am, as Yahweh. And so we have a understanding from that, that this is an appearance of God in the person of Jesus before he uh, came as a baby. So, I am, uh, we get our word Yahweh or Jehovah from it, and in a lot of uh, Bible translations, they capitalize all four letters of Lord to designate when Yahweh is used. And so that can be really helpful um, as well. And so, I think, you know, when Jesus in the New Testament says, you know, before Abraham was, I am, he's obviously saying that he is the God of the Old Testament. And so I think Yahweh um, is God's name. Okay, so Jesus is one of the persons of the Godhead, and his name is Jesus. But I think they share the name Yahweh. Um, So they're all Yahweh. They are all I am. They are all part of the self-existing single God. Um, so that's really helpful for us because as we read through the, New, or the Old Testament, there's lots of appearances of the angel of the Lord, and that helps us to see who it is. So a fun one that I encourage you to look at on your own time is when the angel of the Lord appears to, uh, what's his face, the prophet with the, the talking donkey? Balaam? Balaam, yeah, Balaam. So when, when Balaam, God tells him not to go, and Balaam goes anyways, I was like, Balaam, Balaam's not right. Uh, and he's going, the, the angel of the Lord 
stands in front of him and stops him, and uh, Balaam can't see him, but the donkey sees him. And it says that it's the angel of the Lord. This is Jesus standing in front of him. And so the donkey splits, <laughs> and Balaam starts beating his donkey. And Jesus talks to him, and he's like, you should stop beating your donkey. <laughs> and he's about to kill Balaam, and he doesn't end up killing him. Uh, but it's really interesting. So it's a fun one to read. We're going to look at Exodus 14 together. Uh, that's another mention of the angel of the Lord. So that's your next blank there, Exodus 14. So this is another one. Uh, this is one that the New Testament points back to and says that Jesus uh, you know, was with the Israelites in their, their wanderings and their exit from Egypt, and he was in the cloud and the fire. And it's identified here as the angel of the Lord. Uh, So let's jump down to verses 13 and 14 of Exodus 14. It says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. So this is where the, the Israelites are running, and they come to the Red Sea, and they're trapped. And here comes the Egyptians, thundering up behind them. You know, the, the Israelites are just slaves. You know, they're not warriors. There's a bunch of them, but men, women, children. And here comes the, the Egyptians on the warpath, ready to kill all the Israelites, or, or bring them back and, and probably kill a bunch of them. And they're, they're scared. Uh, and rightly so. And so here comes the Egyptians. They're freaking out. And Moses says, don't be afraid. And then as we jump down to verses 19 and 20, uh, we see the angel of the Lord. It says, and the angel of God, so it's a little different this time, uh, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So remember, they were let out pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. And so they could uh, follow uh, the angel of the Lord out of Egypt. And then verse 20, So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. So it's super cool. Jesus, uh, the angel of the Lord, uh, is in front of the Israelites as they're fleeing Egypt, and then as danger comes, the cloud moves behind them, and to the Israelites, he's fire, so they can see, and to the Egyptians, he's a cloud, and they, they won't enter it. And so he, he's a barrier between them, giving light to the Israelites, and not letting the Egyptians pass, and he stands in between um, Israel and their enemies. And so that's another really uh, cool story about when the angel of the Lord uh, stop them. And then there's the whole part where God uses Moses to part the sea and all of that. Uh, and then uh, the next point in your notes uh, are others listed there. I tried to list all of the angel of the Lord references, but I probably missed some. So if you find more than what's on that list, uh, let me know. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, and, and they're not just angel of the Lord references there what some believe to be Christophanies, appearances of Jesus uh, before he was born as a baby. 
Um, so yeah, Jesus was very active in the Old Testament, and uh, there's many examples that we could go to, but we just don't have uh, the time tonight. So I'd encourage you to, to read through those. Uh, they're pretty fun to see Jesus being the same person he is to us, um, helping out his people and uh, serving and ministering and being uh, the messenger and mouthpiece of God. All right, the next section is uh, New Testament facts about Jesus from Old Testament time. So I just listed a few things here. We're not going to look at all of them. We're familiar with a lot of those. Um, But things Jesus was doing before uh, he was born as a baby that he's been doing forever. And then uh, other things. Uh, So I want to turn to Ruth, actually. The book of Ruth. I always have trouble finding Ruth. I don't know why. She, she hides in there somewhere. Yeah, it should be easier. Just a little four-chapter book. So, I think, you know, Ruth is a helpful story standing alone of God's providence and care. But in the big picture of what God is doing uh, through the Old Testament and uh, his people, it becomes clear at the end of Ruth uh, the, the overall significance of, of her life and uh, why God, part of the reason why God helped her. Um, so if you go down to uh, verse 17, it says, of chapter 4, Ruth 4, 17. Also, the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then we know that from David uh, comes Jesus' line, and it kind of opens our eyes to see that so much of the Old Testament is just showing the life of uh, the ancestors of Jesus. And it's really cool to see Uh, how God preserved their line and his promise to Abraham and all those things. And so if you turn over to Matthew chapter 1, we're given the same genealogy of Jesus, just seen more fully. Uh, So chapter 1, and uh, it starts up at the top, um, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Matthew points out right away the purpose of this genealogy is to show uh, how Jesus is both the son of David and the son of Abraham. And so it goes down and it mentions in verse 5, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And so it's fun to see um, how... All, all the, the Old Testament uh, stories and lives that we see, um, it's Jesus' great-grandparents uh, that God uh, used throughout that whole time and preserved uh, the line all the way to Jesus. And so, again, there's you know, plenty uh, good things to learn uh, from those stories themselves, but it's cool to see the big picture of what God was doing over time uh, to bring about the birth of Jesus through the line of Abraham, and then through the line of his son, David, all the way to Jesus. So that's all we'll say about that. 
Um, it's fun, too, because there you get to see that Rahab is in Jesus' line, and she was a prostitute, and God uh, used normal people, sinful people, uh, to bring about the birth of Jesus. And uh, it's cool to see you know, how she uh, helped out Israel and trusted in God herself and all those things. So, obviously, the Old Testament is a huge, huge testament. Uh, it's twice as big as the New Testament, and there's plenty of things that we could have studied. And so, I just want to encourage you from this uh, to study those things and uh, to not get caught up in the types and things like that, but to look at the, the obvious prophecies and the obvious things that the New Testament authors say are fulfilled in Jesus, um, and not to get caught up in less clear shadows. Um, so we'll end now with uh, the now what. So I'll pop these up here for you. So Jesus has made himself known to us. So Yahweh is the God who, who is, uh, who has always existed, and he's the God who called out to Moses and said, uh, this is my name, this is what I want you to do, I want you to follow me, and... That's still who Jesus is. He wants us to to know him. He's still the God who has always existed. And uh, he revealed himself to us and we can know him, which is just a huge honor and blessing that's easy to uh, take for granted. And then secondly, we can trust Jesus to save and help us. And so that picture in Exodus 14 is a fun picture of uh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even back with Israel, he put himself between Uh, those he loved, and danger. And so for us, he went to the cross and died for us. He died our death in our place. And he's in the business of sacrificing himself and putting himself between us and danger. And then uh, the last thing that I just want to glance at real quick is Isaiah 63. So we can trust Jesus to do all he promised. Um. And this is a helpful passage because it shows us that there's still things that Jesus is doing and there's still things that he's going to do in the future that we can trust him to do. And so this text points out uh, what Jesus will do in his second coming. So he has not done this yet and uh, we can trust him to come again and uh, to provide salvation and judge those who fight against him. So when I first read this passage and understood, it just it kind of opened my mind to see that God is good, both in his saving work and in his judging work. Um, so it's easy to look at Jesus, and some people will say, well, Jesus, the God of the New Testament, is really nice, and the God of the Old Testament is really mean. <laughs> but as we'll read here, Jesus is the same God. There, there's one God of the Bible, and Jesus is is one of the persons of that Godhead. And he is both the arm of salvation for the Godhead, and he's also the arm of judgment for the Godhead. And so his first coming was uh, characterized mostly by his salvation, and his second coming will be mostly characterized by his judgment against uh, those who have rebelled against him. So I just want to read the first couple verses here. It says, Who is this who comes from Edom, who died? With dyed garments from Bozrah, this one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. And this is him speaking. I who speak in righteousness, 
mighty to save. Then they ask him another question. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? And this is him speaking again. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. And so this, is, this paints a picture in our mind of someone seeing someone come over the hill and saying, why, why is this guy's garments all red? Why does it look like he's been jumping around in the wine press? Like he's got grape juice sprayed all over him. And Jesus says, I have those who have rebelled against me. I have their blood all over me. And so Jesus is going to come. He's going to come again. And he's going to judge those who have rejected him and rebelled against him. And uh, it, it seems scary and bad, uh, but they deserve it. We deserve it. And it's only by God's grace that we don't receive that. We, we receive the grace of God in Jesus to be redeemed and saved from the day of Jesus' judgment. And instead of being his enemy, we're now friends with God. So uh, that's the encouragement is uh, even as we've looked at prophecy uh, that was already fulfilled in Jesus' earthly life, there's still prophecy to be fulfilled that he's coming uh, to do, and we can trust him to come and do that as he promised. Uh, and so the last thing is the songs of praise to Jesus. And so I chose A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Uh, it's a fun text in itself. But in the second line, it might be bolded in your notes there, it talks about how uh, you ask who it may be, Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And I just love that, that line, that, uh, you know, that question is asked, who is this? And it's Jesus, that's who it is. And he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he's the Lord of the rest, and he gives us rest, and he's always the same, from age to age the same, and he will win the battle. And so it gives us hope in the future, because uh, Jesus uh, is, has promised to be working in our lives now, but he's promised to work in the future as well, and we can trust him to do that. So I hope this class has been helpful for you. I'm sorry it was cut shorter than uh, we would have planned or hoped, um, but thank you for being here. Uh, I'll close in prayer, and then we can break off into groups uh, to pray together tonight. Lord, we thank you for uh, the grace that we have received by faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you that uh, you are a God who has revealed yourself and that we know what you're like and that you're a good and gracious God who shows abundant mercy uh, to, towards those who uh, place their faith in Christ. And we thank you for Jesus who bore uh, the wrath uh, of God against our sin uh, for us on the cross. And we do pray that you would help us to share the love of Christ with others and that many would be saved and be friends with God and uh, not have to face the wrath of God on their own. And we do thank you that Jesus will come again and that we can trust him to fulfill all that he has promised in our lives and uh, for the future. And we just pray that you give us uh, hope in him tonight and that we would uh, keep our eyes focused on him as we walk through our life. Uh, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.